speaking on a grace-powered worship. And as I said last Sunday, I'm really praying that we will understand what God is trying to teach us here. Because this will be the message or the understanding or the revelation that will ultimately lead us to where we want to go. And that is a place of supernatural living without any effort. A place where the supernatural will become the norm. Why? Because when we begin to express the desires of God in worship, we begin to experience the result of worshiping. And through that expression and experience, we begin to give God more exaltation. Amen? Amen. So, the very first week I said to us that Paul made the case in 11 chapters of the book of Romans to help us understand why we should make certain adjustments to worship God. In Romans 12, 1 and verse 2, he said, I beseech you now, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Another transition says, as a living spiritual act of worship. Now, notice what it says. He didn't say we should sing a song or play the keyboard or play the guitar. Those things are good. They are forms of expression of worship to God. But this apostle tells us that we should present our bodies as a living act of spiritual worship. That is a direct uh, connection, if I, if I can use that, to what used to take place under the old covenant where they gave to God dead animal sacrifices. So here Paul is making a contrast. He sent to these Romans, in the old, we offered animal sacrifices that were dead. But under the new covenant, God has quickened us, has made us alive together with God and has seated us with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places in Christ. And so he said, no, in the new covenant, you don't offer dead sacrifices. Rather, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice or living act of spiritual worship. Now, what is so important? What, what, what is, why is he saying that? Why is this so important? When I present my body, what does that mean? It includes what? My thought, my hands, my feet, my every part that constitutes my body becomes an instrument now of spiritual act of worship. That's why worship now is no longer just singing on Sunday morning. It's not just playing the keyboard. It's not just listening to good music. Worship now becomes a total, complete way of living. Because now it involves my entire being. I'm now a living sacrifice. My entire life now is that that exudes worship to God in various forms. And so from chapters 12 onwards, it begins to tell us the adjustments that we should be making as a result of God's grace and love towards us. I can't go through all of this again because we did that the very first day. But for sure, the first thing says to us in verse 2 of Romans 12, be not conformed to this world. Rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you can present to God that which is acceptable and good and your reasonable acts of service. So we know for a fact that because of God's grace in our lives, we should not conform to the culture where we are living. Rather, we should bring the culture of the kingdom to bear wherever we are. 
The first thing that grace should do for us is rebel against God, culture around us. No, when I say rebel, let me, let me define that. I'm not asking to go and <laughs> insult somebody or curse somebody out. No, what I'm saying is you take yourself to that. I say, wait a minute, God's kingdom supersedes and transcends whatever is going on around me. You're taking your cues from the kingdom of God, not the culture that you're living in. That's worship when you do that. He goes on to tell us, as part of the whole adjustment we must make, in how we should see ourselves and see other believers. He goes on from there and tells us about our giftings. giftings. They, they, They differ, they vary. However, we must acknowledge them and thank God for them, and on and on. Then the second week we came up and talked about Jesus in John chapter 4 and his encounter with the woman at the well. And that whole encounter is Jesus' message to you and I on the subject of worship. John 4, 4, the Bible says Jesus said he must needs go through Samaria. And that's where we camped last week. And that's where I want to build from today. I don't know how many times when you're on your way to work or to the store or to your friend's place or going out, you just feel inclined not to go by the normal route you're walking or you're driving. You just feel something tell you, take this place another way. Many times we ignore that nudging, but I want to tell you this morning, that's God speaking to you. In Acts chapter 8, we saw Philip enjoying a tremendous revival in Samaria. And right in the middle of those happenings, God says, arise and go down to Gaza, which is in the desert. God changed his direction, changed his movement. If Philip was saying what Jesus said, he would have said, I must needs go to the desert. In Acts chapter 8. Now, I'm going somewhere with that. Again in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter praying on the housetop, rooftop. He was hungry, he was praying, and in that prayer, God again changed his direction. So Peter arise and go to Cornelius. He wasn't planning to go to Cornelius. What does John chapter 4 verse 4? Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10. What do they all have in common? And what am I trying to say to us this morning? I'm trying to say to us this morning, don't ignore those God nudgings. If you are going to be a true worshiper, the first thing you must recognize is cannot, life cannot be about your agenda. It has to be about his agenda. Okay? In John chapter 5, Jesus told us in verse 19 and verse 30, he said, what I see my father doing, that's what I do. He said, I do nothing of myself. The all, all the things I do are as a result of what I know my father is already doing. So when Jesus said in John 4, 4, I must next go to Samaria, it's because God, was already, God his father, was, was there already. And he recognized that his father was already doing a work in the heart of the Samaritan woman. So Jesus changed his itinerary, changed his direction to go and finish what his father had begun. Acts chapter 8, the same thing. When God sent Philip to the desert. Why? Because there was an Enoch from Ethiopia who had gone to Jerusalem to worship, but did not know who he was worshiping. And God needed to send someone to that man so that his worship would not be empty. So he changed Philip's direction, sent him to the desert to engage the Ethiopian Enoch to bring him to the kingdom. Acts chapter 10, the same thing. The same thing. Peter was minding his own business. God was at work in Cornelius' heart. And God had to change Peter's agenda so that Peter can join in what God was already working on to bring Cornelius to the kingdom of God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I said all of that to say this. The goal of salvation is worship. God went to reach the Samaritan woman. Why? So that Jesus can bring her to a place where she can 
exalt God. God sent Philip to the Ethiopian Enoch to bring the Enoch to a place in the kingdom where he can be born again and so forth, offer God praise and worship. The same thing continues. The reason we are born again is because we've been created and made to worship. Worship is the reason for salvation. The reason Jesus said to the woman in John chapter, three, chapter 4 verse 24 is that the Father is seeking. Who is he seeking? True worshipers. People that will be born again and as a result give their lives to God in total praise, adoration, and complete honor. Ah. I want to move on this morning, but I need to make one or two points. My friends, we are not saved so we avoid going to hell. Okay. I'm going to let just that fly for a minute. Yes. If the purpose of salvation is to avoid hell, it will have been a lot easier for God not to create us. He won't make you. And if it doesn't make you, hell is not a factor. Do you see that readily? Yes. So I'm not saved because I'm trying to avoid hell. The opposite of that is also true. I am not saved just so I can go to heaven. Yes. I know for religion, that is heresy. How dare you say that? Of course, if you are born again, you go to heaven. But that's not the reason you are saved. If that was the reason you were saved, the moment you were saved, you should check out of here and go to heaven. So why did he leave you here after you've been born again? He left you here because he made you for his pleasure. He made you for his glory. He wants to transform you so much that every living moment you have here on this earth, you honor him, glorify him, bless him, and give him the credit that he alone deserves. No, I'm not saved because I'm escaping hell. No. Thank God I will not go there. Thank God you will not go there, but that's not the reason for which you are saved. And thank God that you will go to heaven if you are born again. But that is not the reason. That's, that's just like a, like a fringe benefit. You are made for his pleasure. Every time God looks at you, man is delighted. He gets pleasure. He is blessed. And look at my creation. I made Greg in my own image and likeness. Ah, let me give you a hug. God lives forever to just hug you, to just be blessed by your presence. In fact, the Bible says angels are looking and say, man, what, what is going on? Yes. Wow. You need to understand that. Now, with that being said, let me spend the next few minutes talk about today's message. In that John 4, 23, Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, we're going to be addressing this. There's too much in all of these passages. We're going to be here for a while. Let me just say this to you now. And that's why, again, this next week we are fasting. And the theme of the fast is made to worship. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Because I really want this thing to really, really, really get to sink into all of us. It's already realigning my own life. Yes. Because you have to understand... I have to change in order for you to change. Some changes must come to me so that I can help you to make the changes you need to make. Yes. Worship is not just coming here on a Sunday morning. It's part of it. But what I've said to you before and I'm saying to you again, you cannot live like the devil from Monday through Saturday and come worship on Sunday. No. You're already defeated before you come to church. 
And if that's you, you need to get here on Sunday morning and just fall on your face and say, God, help me. Don't go through the motion, lifting your hands and singing songs. That does not do anything for God. You're going to see that in a minute. Now, worship is given to God what already belongs to him, which is you. You belong to him. And so, Jesus is saying in John 4, 23, the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshippers we worship the Father in spirit and truth. Immediately. Immediately. You should immediately say, wait a minute, why did he qualify worship by the word true? The Father is not seeking just worship, but is seeking true worshipers. Which implies there are false worshipers. I pray that there's no false worshiper here this morning. But if there is, God will help you to locate yourself in a minute. And you can make the adjustment as necessary. So when he said the word true worshiper, that immediately sheds the light on false worshippers. Now, let's go back to Romans 12, 2, and then I'm going to read also 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And then we're going to begin to unpack them. Romans 12, 2. He says, uh, we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The key word there is the word acceptable. Every worship is not acceptable. You need to know that. Every worship is not acceptable to God. First Peter 2, verse 5. First Peter 2, 5 says, You and I are built, no, we are lively or living stones being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Why? Why did he leave you and I here? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. Another translation says, spiritual worship. Acceptable. That word again. To God through Jesus Christ. Let's settle one thing here right now, right off the bat. The only worship that God receives, accepts, is through Jesus. So, I'm worshiping Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. Wrong. Straight. Oh, you, are you guys Muslims here? You're not answering me? <laughs> through who? Jesus Christ. Not through Muhammad. Not through Confucius. Not through Buddha. Not through your favorite prophet. Not through your favorite pastor. I don't care if he has fire in his mouth. The only worship that God accepts is the one that is offered through Jesus Christ. End of story. Which implies you cannot worship except you are born again. It doesn't matter what they are doing. It doesn't matter how nice it looks. How great it sounds. It does not matter. If a person is not being regenerated by the spirit of God, they cannot offer acceptable sacrifice. It only comes through one person. Jesus. That's it. That's why people will tell you, tell us about God, but not Jesus. When you say God, there's no offense. They can talk God all day long. God, God, God. No problem. But immediately you introduce the word Jesus. Ah! Demons begin to get agitated. Because that's one word they do not like to hear. Because for this purpose, the Son of Man was made manifest yes. that he may destroy the works of the devil. Yes. God had always been and the devils were not troubled. But the moment Jesus came on the scene, the Bible said, for this purpose, what purpose? To destroy the devil. So devils are, they are comfortable 
demons, they are fine. You can go to Washington, D.C., walk the corridors of power and say, yeah, you believe in God, sir? They say, yeah, 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 we do. Oh, yes, God is, God is good. But you ask them about Jesus. Ah! Uh-huh. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we, we, you know, they start telling you all kinds of stuff. Acceptable worship. You have to be born again. And it can only be offered through Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus mentioned in John 4, 23, true worship. Romans 12, 2, acceptable worship. 1 Peter 2, 5, acceptable acts of sacrifice. So we see clearly there are certain things that are acceptable and others that are unacceptable. So this morning, let's just focus on the forms of unacceptable worship because we need to eliminate what is not so we can tell you what is. It is important that we first eliminate what is not so you can receive what is. If I told you what is first and you are trying to do what is and what is not is still part of your curriculum, you are negating one another. Amen? So, let's spend the rest of our time here this morning the next 10-15 minutes on talking about the unacceptable forms of worship. Number one. Number one. The very first form of worship that is totally, completely unacceptable to God is the worship of false gods. The worship of false gods. Isaiah chapter 44 verses 13 through 17. Isaiah chapter 44 Verses 13 through 17. I know many of us are sitting here, ah, false God. That's far from me. That, uh, that's, you, can already, you already checked that box. Not applicable. Really. Not so fast. Guys, are you guys asleep? No, no not you. I'm talking to my man over there. Isaiah 44, chapter, verse 13. Help me out here. Thank you very much. Bless you. Look at what it says. The craftsman stretched out his rule. He marks out one with his chalk. He fashions, fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with the compass and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. Go on. He cuts down the cedars for himself, takes the cypress and the oak, he secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Go ahead. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a God and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. Do you see what God is saying here? All through the Old Testament, God admonishes, challenges Israel about this practice. What is he saying? You take a, a, a ruler, you mark out a piece of wood. Now it tells you how the wood is planted and what happens to the wood. From the wood, you warm yourself. Nice fireplace. From the wood, you bake bread, you eat. From that same wood that you used to make a fireplace, that you bake bread with, you now carve an image. You make it beautiful. And then you bow down and say, This is God. How ridiculous! Now, some of you here may say, oh man, that is foolish. We just came back from Asia a couple of months ago where every building literally has a, a huge graven image. In fact, they have perfected that trade, Pastor, where depending on your need, you can buy a small one, a mid-sized one, or a large one. It's available. Small God, medium God, large God. Super large. Super large. Because in the airport, it's super large. Shame when you've been there, Bangkok. In the airport, oh man, the image goes to the roof. Huge thing. I mean, this, this thing's as wide as humongous. Humongous. You drive on the highway, they plant them all over the place. Gods of safety, gods of protection. Everywhere. I don't care which hotel you are going to. There's no hotel. In fact, this last time the hotel we stayed in, they had one on the outside 
And then in case you miss one on the outside, they have one right there by the, by the front desk. Oh, yes. And the amazing thing to us, as we saw the one by the front desk, every day, they bring a five-course meal in front of this thing. Iced tea, rice, chicken, apple. I mean, five-course meal. And somebody's job is to replace the meal every day. But you know what? I give them credit, this one credit. They are not ashamed to put their God on display. Wrong God as it may be. They are not ashamed to put that God on display, number one. Number two, they are not ashamed to worship it publicly. Now, I know I'm talking to a lot of people that came from a from an uh, Afrocentric background. Where, back where you guys came from across the oceans. You are similar gods. But you put them under your mattress. You hide them away from view in a separate secret room that only you can enter. You go there, you wash your face, you do whatever you need to do and then you come out and say, hallelujah, God is good. But we don't know which God you are calling. Is it a God in a dark room of your house or the one in the church? Hello? False gods. Now, we know that in the West, North America, Europe, in Western civilization, we will laugh at anybody who worships before a graven image. We say they lost their marbles. They are crazy. It's not possible. So for us, perhaps we won't do this. But let me tell you something. We have substituted all that things with the graven, for the graven images. So we do not carve a wood. We do not bow down before a wood. But do we, have we taken, or rather have we been taken over past with three things. Number one, how about the pursuit of pleasure? Where I can get a thrill today and hopefully that thrill will numb my pain. That thrill will help me forget my mystery. That thrill will help me not to think about him or her. I've been heartbroken. I've been disappointed. I've been devastated. Let me just get a thrill. Maybe it's for you. Sex? Oh, sacred cow. I look at your faces when I mention the, the three letter words sex. People, some of you look at me. How dare you? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? You see, because those guys that are on these things, they just think, you know what? If I just get one hit, crack cocaine is cheap. Let me just get one hit. Man, all my problems will go away. Not knowing that one hit will make you a registered customer for life. Pleasure. Exotic vacation. After exotic vacation, I live from vacation to vacation. I'm not living for God. I'm living, I pay for this one. Cost me $6,000. Man, I love it. Man, I can't wait for the next one next year. Hallelujah. And every day for the next one year, I'm living, living thinking of that exotic vacation. Give an image. Give him image. Give him image. Pursuit of pleasure. Now, are pleasures wrong? No, it's not wrong. In fact, we don't have to choose between pleasure and God. Psalm 16 verse 11 tells us, in thy path is life. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you see, I don't have to make pleasure a God. When I serve God, I ultimately become pleasured. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yes. Oh, hallelujah. Go and ask Moses, Hebrews 11.25. Who refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Rather, the Bible says, choosing affliction 
Why? Because he has seen something. I'm willing to forego the pleasures of sin for a season. What does that tell us? Every pleasure you and I seek outside of God is but for a fleeting moment. At best, it's temporary. So I get high now. Okay, what happens tomorrow? You need another high. What happens next tomorrow? You need another high. And on, and on, and on, until you become hooked. Why? All these things are temporary. Yeah, for a season. But in God, God will take you to places, will help you to see things, will help you to be things that you never dreamt was possible. Amen. He is our ultimate pleasure. Amen. So we may not worship a graven image, but are we worshiping the pursuit of pleasure? Secondly, how about the pursuit of worldly gain? I mean, you throw your brother, your sister under the bus for one dollar. Listen, we're all looking good right now. I look at your faces. You look good. You look radiant. You look wonderful. You look blessed. Get money involved. Get money involved between two brothers. You will find out if you are really really brothers. I told you my story. How I owed a man $36,000 and he did not allow that to to break friendship. I owed a man $36,000. And in mind, did not break rank for one nanosecond. Let somebody owe you 36 cents. True story. True story. You see, we need to get to that place. That's why I like the hymn we just sang. To trust Jesus and to take him as his word. Because if this word is true, then if my brother owes me and chooses not to pay me, it is nothing to worry about. Why? I can cast my cares upon him. Amen. That's what his word says. Amen. I can cast my cares upon him. Why? He takes care of me. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. I will repay. But no, 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 no. We don't see it like that. We want to vindicate ourselves. We want to be right rather than being righteous. Big difference. You can be right and unrighteous. But if you're righteous, ultimately you'll be right. Jesus said it best in Luke 16 verse 13. He said no man can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other. Therefore, he says, we cannot serve God and mammon. Now, are you saying, Pastor, money is not important? Absolutely, it's very, very important. Yes. The Bible, the same Bible says money answers all things. There's no virtue in poverty. You don't get an open pass to heaven because you're poor. No. No. So we are not talking against being blessed. No. What I'm saying to us is we should not get to that point where the love of money becomes the root of all our evil. Whereby we are totally possessed with the thought, obsessed with the thinking, money, 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 let me more, make more money, make more money, more money. And, and when that obsession takes place, you run over people, you destroy lives to make one buck. That's not God. That's not God. You should not spend every living, waking moment of your life thinking about your bank account. If that's what you're thinking, you are in false worship. Money has become your God. It has. It has. And I pray that God will deliver all of us in Jesus' name. So false worship has to do with pursuit of pleasure, which is found in God. Oh, in fact, let me, okay, I'll leave that scripture alone. I can give you a reference on that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 and verse 4. The pursuit of pleasure. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and verse 4, where the Bible actually says that in the last days, they will become lovers of ourselves and that we will love pleasure more than God. And then also Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, says the same thing. No, no, I'm sorry. Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, says the same thing. See, so I'm not just saying something here 
off my head. I'm telling you what the Bible says. And by the way, you need to know that what destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was not just the homosexual activity going on. When you only read Genesis, you only catch a little bit of it. No. What ultimately brought it down is Ezekiel chapter 16 talks about living in pleasure. Living for pleasure. That's, it. That's, that's, that's a problem. Okay? That's a problem. Alright. So, we're talking about pursuit of pleasure, pursuit of worldly gain, and last one I want to address this morning before we close today is the issue of pursuit of knowledge. For some of us, knowledge, apart from God, human reasoning has become God. No matter what God says, you have three points of debate against it. Remember what Paul said? Casting down every imagination and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The only knowledge you and I should pursue is the knowledge of God. Any knowledge outside of that will destroy you apart from God. It gets you puffed up and unfortunately you are looking at a situation based on your finite minuscule human knowledge. And you think you know what's, what's going on. Knowledge can become a God. That's why some of these guys in Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale, they can't serve God. Why are they serving knowledge? I think it was Paul. The Bible says, knowledge has made you almost mad. It's made you mad. Just knowledge. You just you 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 are a doctor of the law. You 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 about anything we bring you 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 doctor it. While we're on that note, I know you've seen this caption that says knowledge is key. Or knowledge is power. Really? How is that working for Africa? Can somebody tell me? With all the doctors of law, doctors of law that we have there, the PhDs and the LLDs and all of these DDDs, DDs. Hello, Lola. How is it working for Africa? We have knowledge, and we are going backwards. Knowledge, human reasoning. Let's ask Eve about it. Whom the devil? tempted and showed a tree. And the Bible said in Genesis chapter 3, I believe verse 6 or verse 8, that she looked at it and saw that it was good for food. So she reasoned. She's seen something and based on what she's seen, she's reasoning. Wow. It was good for good, I mean, good for food, able to make one wise and pleasant to the eyes. Oh my God. She got three reasons why this food must be good. Reason. Human reason. And she allowed her reasoning to set aside God's instruction. Why? Because she's seen something. And based on what she's seen, she's saying, you know what? Maybe God must not mean what he said. Or is it Lot we want to call to the table to give us a testimony? Mr. Lot, why did you choose the plain of Jordan? In Genesis chapter 13. The Bible says, he looked, he lifted up up his eyes and saw that the plain of Jordan was well watered. Knowledge. Because it's well watered, it must have the ability to produce good fruit. Knowledge. Mr. Lot, what you did not see and cannot see from your human perspective are the wicked agents waiting to vex your soul. So you see, at best, your knowledge is limited. That's why it's better for me and you to follow the words of that uh, hymn we just sang. Trust Jesus. In the beginning, it was there. In the in-between, he's there. At the end, he's there. He finished it before he began it. He's the Alpha and the Omega. 
the first and the last. He knows everything about all things, about every subject matter. So much so, he came to Galilee and saw those fishermen toiling. They've toiled all night and caught nothing. They were expert fishermen. Are they experts? They've fished all their lives. And here comes this young boy called Jesus. When did you arrive? Johnny just come. You just came here. You just got here. Who made you? When, when, who taught you how to, swim, how to fish? Head knowledge. How do you know how to fish? You are just a, you are a carpenter. How can you be qualified as a fisherman? Head knowledge. But he said to them, cast out your nets on the other side. Ah, we've been doing this before you were born. We know your father. He's a carpenter. And we know that you are helping us as an apprentice in this workshop. What do you know about fishing? Is that what they said to him? They said, we've told all night and caught nothing. But at that word, we will not base our action on our human knowledge because we recognize our human knowledge will fail. Our human knowledge has a capacity. It has a limitation at that word because you said it and we know you are the creator of the universe. Everything we see, everything we know, you hung on the basis of your spoken word. Therefore, if you said it, we just simply obey. They trusted him. Rather than trusting in their human knowledge. My friend, many of us, no, we don't worship given images, but we worship at the altar of, of the pursuit of pleasure. We worship at the altar of the pursuit of worldly gain. And we worship at the altar of human knowledge. Ask Abraham. Genesis chapter 13. After it looked like Abraham had lost to Lot, Lot has looked and taken the well-watered land of Jordan. So Abraham, what do you have left? The dry ground that may not produce anything. That's what head knowledge will tell him. Yes. But you know what? He's choosing to cast his lot with God. Amen. Lot may have placed you at a disadvantage today. But in time, if you choose God and hang on with God, what looks like a disadvantage will soon turn around in your favor. And you are going to be in a place of what? Advantage. Because what Abraham could not see with his natural eye, God said, now lift up your eyes, Abraham, to the north and the south, the east and the west. For as long and as far as your eyes can see, that's exactly what I'm going to give you. Now I understand what the apostle said. We should not walk by sight, but by faith. Because your sight will limit you. Your sight will shortchange you. Your sight will put a cap on the potential of God upon your life. No, don't judge yourself or your case or your situation, your family, based on where you are now. Where you are now is a temporary thing. It will change. There's an expiration date on where you are now. Things are bound to change if you just trust God and look unto him who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen. I'm just going to end there today. There are three or four more for, for, uh, or rather unacceptable ways of worship. But one is enough for today. Are you living for pleasure instead of for God? Are you living for worldly gain rather than live for God? Are you living to accumulate knowledge or rather than live for the knowledge of who God is? Where are you today? And you're saying, ah, what's this got to do with grace? Everything. Everything. Because the way we get to experience God's grace on a daily basis is allowing him to make the adjustments in us so we can experience him fully and so we can exalt him greatly.
two scriptures. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And just prepare yourself right now because I'm, I'm going to ask you to come. If you are one of those who needs to make an adjustment in any of those three areas, I want to pray for you today. I don't want these services to just be something we come and hear something and we go out and go back to the same old, same old. No. No. There must be a spiritual transaction. You should leave something at the altar when you come today. What do I mean by that? You should not take back home the baggage you came with. You shouldn't. Romans chapter 1 in verse 8. I believe it is. Verse 5, I mean. Romans 1 5. Through him. Who is him? Jesus. Don't, forget, don't ever forget that. Through him. Jesus is it. He is grace personified. He is love personified. He is prosperity personified. He is healing personified. Everything you can think of in God is in Jesus. Jesus plus nothing. That's the equation. Absolutely. You, you, Jesus is plus nothing. You don't need to add anything else to him. No. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith. Ah! Huge. Huge. I'm about to lay something on you and I will close. Let's read it also in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Verse 26. Okay, let's start from verse 25. Romans 16, verse 25. Not to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of who? Buddha? Confucius? Muhammad? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith. He began this Roman book by challenging me and you to obedience to the faith and he closed it by challenging us with the obedience of the faith. Did you see that just now? Yes. Under the old covenant, those guys were only commanded to be obedient, period. God gave an instruction and their charge was obey the instruction. Did you, did you hear what I just said? Under grace, it is not so. What we are asked to do, yes, is to be obedient, but not to some instruction, but to the faith you received. Wow. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. My challenge and your challenge is obedience to the faith. What does that mean? Greg, what do you believe? Obey what you believe. That's what God is saying. Obey what you believe. Obey what I've taught you, and you, you believe it? Now, show your believing by obeying it. Not just an instruction that had no life, that you just received, that, that, had, that it, had, it had no person, no meaning to you. It just says, that shall not do this, that shall do that. So go, go and obey that. No. He said now, God gave Jesus and the grace for the obedience of their faith. This is the bottom line. Whatever you are hearing, the proof that you believe it is you are living it. If you are not living it, it does not matter what you say about you believe. You don't believe it. You don't believe it. Because you and I are a product of what we believe right now. Where you are today is a product of your believing up till now. And where you will be tomorrow will be as a result of what you believe right now. Right believing leads to right behaving. Simple. So the issue is we should stop trying so much and start trusting so much. 
Do you believe this morning? Are you willing to live the pursuit of pleasure? I'm not saying that you will not live pleasurable life because the Bible says God gives us good things to enjoy. That's who God is. But he does not want the things, you are, the things he's given us to enjoy to become Lord over you. No. No. God wants to prosper me and you. He delights in the prosperity of his servants. Absolutely. But he does not want prosperity to be your God. God wants me and you to be knowledgeable about him because when you know him, you know about everything. Yeah. But he does not want the pursuit of knowledge to overtake us. Is anybody here today and say, Pastor, I need deliverance from any of those three things? Please move this out of the way for me. See, the first manifestation of grace is vulnerability and transparency. Yes. We have been talking grace here for two years. Even though I'm thanking God that it's taking hold and getting more traction, but I don't see it visibly yet. But you know why? Because people are still shy about saying, this is where I am. Yes. God help me to be where I need to be. When grace fully takes hold on you, nobody will have to make an altar call. You yes, run to the altar and say, God, help me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Yeah. That's what grace does. It exposes all unrighteousness. Contrary to the popular opinion, they say grace makes you sin. No, you've not heard grace. Because the grace of God unto salvation has appeared to all men that and helping us to shun all worldliness and ungodliness. Titus 2.11 The first thing grace does it loosens the shackles, breaks the chain, and allows you to come clean and say, you know what, this is where I've been. But thank God for his grace. I'm taking a new paradigm in my mind. So for the last time, is anybody here today and say, Pastor, I want to stop, shun the pursuit of pleasure. The pursuit of worldliness. Where money is not my God. And the pursuit of knowledge. Dr. Anafia, please come. Come help me.